basically looking at performance marketing, um, and I've experienced this in the past, we've run a few experiments. You know, if you look at CPIs, if you look at like CPAs, wh whatever it is that your, um, your metric is from a, a cost of acquisition perspective, it costs less money when you've got brand search terms. Like it's mm -hmm. that simple. So if on one hand, you, you're trying to use generic search terms in paid advertising, so paid search, um, versus your actual brand terms, like it might cost you pennies. Mm -hmm. So like it makes sense to invest in the brand because not only will the brand have an impact on your performance, but it will have an impact on your community, on your brand equity, on all the other areas of the business, on your employees, it will have a, an impact on everything. Okay, um, hello, welcome to episode six of On The Same Landing Page. I'm Jason, I'm the Marketing Manager at Web Presence, and I'm joined by co-host Astra. Um, guys, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, first of all, Astra, and then actually I'll start to introduce Vanessa. Okay, uh, I'm Astra and I am the Digital Marketing Manager, no I'm not, I'm the Head of Advertising at Web Presence. Still getting used to saying that. <laughs> Um, and Vanessa, I will let you speak for yourself, of course, but I would like to just introduce how uh, we came to be uh, at this point. So I'm joined by you, Vanessa, a factional CMO and partner at 97s Consulting. So Vanessa started her career in publishing on the editorial side of a luxury lifestyle publishing and quickly moved into marketing, working on B2B brands before moving to the agency side where we work together. Um, she worked for global consumer brands like Lipton, ASOS, American Express, worked on C-level comms and completed patient, community and staff engagement work for the public sector, um, organisations such as the NHS and the Department of Health. Her most recent venture has been to join Quinn and build the entire marketing brand content and comms operation from scratch over three and a half years, uh, taking it from being an unknown beta app to becoming an award-winning top ranking app for diabetes. So I've had the pleasure with working with Vanessa uh, agency side. It was a long time ago, pre-pandemic. Um, she's an un unconventional system-wide problem solver and she really transforms any room she enters, changes any company she's in. Um, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Now I let you speak, Vanessa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what to add. But thank you for having me. <laughs> Well, it's, that's, probably the, that's probably the longest introduction we've ever done, but it's because I know Absolutely. so much <laughs> about you. Or, um, yeah, I, know. I think it's because we know each other, isn't it? But um, yeah, mm. I'm Vanessa, you know, I'm a fractional CMO and I live in Dubai. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's the update. You've, you've moved uh, to Dubai. How is it there? Funny. Funny. <laughs> Sums up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I wanted to, I thought I'd bring you on, Vanessa, because obviously you've got loads and loads of experience across loads and loads of parts of marketing. And what I mean by that is lots of different channels that you've covered, but also different ways of taking brands to market, products to market, um, and a lot more experience than I have in terms of branding and what the importance of building a brand is for a company and what goes into that, the work that goes into that. Um, and so that's what I wanted to touch on initially is about 
because we at Web Presence are more of a kind of a performance marketing focus. We really, everything is about converting and making sure that you get traffic come through to the website. How can we turn them into leads? How can we turn those leads into customers and then those customers into ambassadors? And we talk about that funnel in that aspect. But I don't spend too much time talking about, well, for example, I've never worked on a rebranding project and I wouldn't perhaps understand the value of a rebranding product and the importance of how that comes into every other part of the business. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where you, where you want to come into on that, but I, what's your experience in terms of working on brands and why is it so important to have a brand for maybe smaller companies that might not value it so much? That's, that's a question that I've had to answer, I think, most of my career. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like the, the, simple, the simple answer to that is, do you want to be memorable? Like, do you, what do you want people to say about you when you're not in the room? Like, do you want them to say, oh, they've got a great brand, but the product's terrible. Or, oh, they've got a great community, but such a terrible brand. And I think brand has evolved over time before it used to just be sort of like the visual aspects um, of a brand, so logo namely, and then sort of like about 10, 15 years ago, people started to think about that a bit more. Um, they started to th think about other things and other aspects of brand a bit more. I think in my view, like brand is product or service, positioning people, culture, opinions, design, personality, experience and community, and I think especially now when brands are being asked to have opinions and to stand for things, like new generation Gen Z particularly are asking brands to do more than just being capitalists and sell products. I think this is a question that people have to, you know, ask themselves, companies, whether small, big, um, more and more. Um, I think with also all of the stuff that's happening around privacy and, and, you know, metrics and, and tracking, brand is, is going to be more important because ultimately you won't be able to track and you won't be able to target and market in ways that, you know, have been possible in the last five to 10 years. So, you know, it's kind of a resurgence of the, the need to create brands and the need to create memorable moments and basically like making all the promises that you've made and you miss culminate into something which is basically you deciding to go for something specific because you know the brand and because you you've got some affinity to a to a brand so yeah it's important i don't know why people question that <laughs> yeah i think i think my experience of it is lazily associating it with um some of the more superficial things like for example my my understand my day-to-day -day application of brand is i have to follow the brand guidelines so for me it's like image uh, the images have to be a certain style the, the font has to be so and so and it stops there and i think it stops there for a lot of people too mm -mm. what you just talked about how it's a whole host more than that in terms of culture the approach the maybe positioning like how do you get all of that <laughs> together because <laughs> like, that's that's a, that's a large piece of work right i guess that's why the rebranding costs so much money but how do you go about doing that I think it takes time and I think ultimately it's all about the business goals. I think th there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between a company that's just here to make money and get out, you know, be acquired. And even then with, you know, companies that are trying to make quick money and be acquired, there's an element of any valuation that has to do with brand equity. 
you know, people talk about community and, you know, you can't have a community if your community doesn't have an identity to relate to. And that, again, is brand. So I guess to answer your question, how you do all of it is by being intentional about it, by having that in mind. And I know that not all small businesses have money and budget to invest in brands like, you know, multinationals. But I think, you know, it, it can be very small things like just even like asking your team, like whether they can articulate like what they're most passionate about and what makes them come to work every day and what they think as a unit they're good at and what's what's the company's core genius. I think it's it's being intentional and actually taking the time. I'm not saying taking all the time, but like having regular touch points about the things that matter. Because even ultimately, even like just recruitment, if you're trying to scale and if you're trying to grow, like it's much easier for a brand like Deliveroo to, to hire than it is whatever like food mm -hmm. delivery app that no one knows about. Because like the minute the, the, someone shares that job, everyone will recognize um, the brand. I, I mean, th that is obviously aside from culture and what actually goes on. <laughs> yeah. But like at, at the end of the day, like, it, it radiates across all aspects of business. And I think this is, there are some fundamentals, like, you know, what your values are, what like your purpose, your mission, your mission, your mission, like what all these things are. And I guess there are business goals, but the value proposition is quite central and like it's quite central and fundamental to what you're trying to achieve as a company and a brand. But then again, you know, you have to position yourself on the market so you can decide to position yourself from only the perspective of performance and only the perspective of like the bottom line or you can decide to actually determine what your mentor is and that is somehow an exercise that you can do as a brand that's not going to cost you like millions but that still helps everyone in the team and in the company articulate what their like what their work is like what, what their work ladders mm. if that makes sense so, it's a, I, that on that point of like principles, values, meaning and stuff like that, I saw an interesting post um, on LinkedIn. I can't remember, you know, it's just scrolling in. I can't remember who it was. But someone said like, no one is in a shop, in a corner shop going, right, I'm going to pick those sweets because their, their, their why is really important to me. And that's a really principled and value driven brand. And then I'm going to pick Colgate because I really like what their brand stands for and stuff like that. So like there's 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 an element where you can go like so far into it and talk about what is your why and your purpose at work and stuff. And a lot of it can be criticized for being a little bit like, what is this actually impacting on the terms of the customer? So you can see my cynical approach yeah, here, but no, I, I'm I doing agree. it because I want to learn. About I agree, but I think ultimately there are things that are meant for the people that are internal to the company. And then there's a difference between that and what you actually put out there. Like, I mean, if you look at brands like Patagonia, like, you know, people that can afford it, they do care about what Patagonia is doing for the, for the environment. These t-shirts, in my opinion, I'm definitely not their target. These t-shirts to me, like, I, that's it. But, <laughs> but like some people, <laughs> some people really actually do care about the environment and actually do want to, you know, associate with brands that have the sort of values that we you know that they, that they they have. Ultimately, a lot of decisions are 
are made based on people's wallets. And I think people mm -hmm. underestimate that. But you know, lots of decisions are also made based on like brand and the perception that they have of the brand. There's a reason why people prefer buying Panadol than just the cheap paracetamol at the store. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a reason why people yeah. Yeah. often like fall back on something that they're familiar with or that they know. Because if I'm going to your house, Jason, I'm saying I have a headache and you give me some random tablet, like, I want to know that. You know what I mean? And that doesn't go for all products. I think consumers are, are, are quite smart in the way that, you know, they make their purchasing decisions. I think people underestimate how smart they are. But at the end of the day, there is an increasing demand on brands to actually not necessarily articulate what their why is, but at least have one. Yeah. Um, you touched there a little bit on like the Panadol thing and the trusted brands. How important do you think it is for them to have like a big name? Because I've I've actually done some market research before. Well, no, sorry, I've been part of market research um, for someone who was doing branding, and she obviously didn't tell me at the time. But we had to compare these different brands and say what we liked about them, why we thought they were effective, um, and then at the debrief, she basically said that nine times out of 10 people will go for a brand that they think is looks. So like Panadol versus like a cheap boots own brand. How important is that like looks element? And because at the end of the day, if something feels like you can charge more for it. So it doesn't that just like stem back to the performance of the brand. What do you mean by luxury? sorry? No. Like luxury or, you know, oh, perceived right. to be of a higher quality. Um, and like, actually they're probably, they're still the same regulated drug, right? They're made from the same active ingredients and the same fillers but this, you're more likely to go for like maybe a luxury brand over a cheap one. Like, why is that? What's the psychology there? I mean, there's, there's loads of reasons why. I think like generally the, 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 the idea is people don't want to miss out. People, humans mm. are aspirational. Like, you know, sure. people want to feel like they belong in a class that, that doesn't necessarily by default include them. I don't, I'm, I'm and like, again, I'm generalizing, but I think, Ultimately, it's all about aspirations. It's about like being able to afford the little luxuries because you can't afford an Aston Martin or you can't, you know, you can't like eat a steak covered in gold or like fly whatever first class. So you'll get the luxury painkillers yeah. and you'll get the luxury hand soap. And, and I guess that's, that's a way to kind of, you know, it's just feel good it's like a feel good factor and the idea that you're not completely missing out on the great things in life but um mm -hmm. like if you look at like medication again like if we go back to the panadol example like it's likely that you find that like the red packaged um panadol might work better or <laughs> might be yeah. more effective because it's in red packaging <laughs> and not blue because that's a mild headache it's not a migraine so mm -hmm. i think all of this has an impact and people that say that you know, brand doesn't matter. Like, I beg to differ. I would love to go in their closets and, and see what they wear and, like, see what they drive and look at their fridge and see what they eat. You know, I mean, a little. Like, there's been loads of examples and social experiments around that. Little, like, has proven that their wine is often better than, like, you know, some expensive mm. wine from Waitrose. But here we are, still buying. <laughs> it's it's really it's really interesting isn't it like when it comes to that i wonder as well when it comes to the people that doubt brand and stuff like when you apply um you've got like a, a medium small to medium-sized business the most common thing we we get is that they just need results next week and next month yeah. 
they are only going to be interested in building a brand if they either a i guess own it uh, or have shares in it or were there for the long term probably perhaps or, or unless the owner or the board of directors has said this is, needs to be you know we need to start changing where we are positioned in the company like how do you go about um like i guess what i'm asking is like how do you prove return on investment for something that is so not going to give you like it's it's a, it's one of those essential things that if you understand marketing you you will value it and if you don't understand marketing it's going to be hard to get them to invest in the brand do you, do you know what i'm saying i don't know what i'm asking here but i'm just asking you're answering the question you're actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah have you I had that go on. go on go on i i guess it's uh have you had that process of trying to take someone from thinking short-term to long-term, and how do you take them through the value of building a brand? How do you um, speak to clients about that kind of thing? I think with the mindset that I have as of today, I think I don't anymore because I, I just feel like, you know, it's been proven before that you know if you want to if you if you want to run the marathon if you want to be there and be there for long then you know you might want to call it different things you might want to call it community you want to call it education you want to call it whatever you want to call it at the end of the day you know if you want people to be looking for you if you want to be memorable if you want people to kind of go for you like like you want people to seek you then you need people need to remember you like it's that simple like if i if i go on alexa i use alexa and i say order me a bag alexa will give me all sorts of random plastic bags but if i say order me a prada bag then she knows where to go so i th i think at the end of the day <laughs> you know either you want a brand and you don't and if you don't then i'm not going to try to convince you to do that now what I, I can say to the idea of like having to pitch clients and kind of like articulate the benefits of it and try to measure it. I think, again, I'm like in right now, May 2022, I, I would say that I don't think everything needs to be measured um, because not everything used to be measurable before and brands still emerge and companies were still successful. But I, I mean, I understand the need for people to kind of see return on investment. So uh, what I would say to them, to answer your question, if I was to say something is basically looking at performance marketing, um, and I've experienced this in the past, we've run a few experiments. You know, if you look at CPIs, if you look at like CPAs, wh whatever it is that your, um, your metric is from a, a cost of acquisition perspective, it costs less money when you've got brand search terms. Like it's mm -hmm. that simple. So if on one hand, you, you're trying to use generic search terms in paid advertising, so paid search, um, versus your actual brand terms, like it might cost you pennies. Mm -hmm. So like it makes sense to invest in the brand because not only will the brand have an impact on your performance, but it will have an impact on your community, on your brand equity, on all the other areas of the business, on your employees, it will have a, an impact on everything. So like you might as well spend the difference between that like generic search term CPI or CPA, whatever, on brand, because ultimately you still get the results you still harvest the results um, with like, say for instance, using like using paid search as an example, 
with your cheap um, search, like your cheap performance on branded um, search terms. I think that's one way that you can kind of like show it with like hard data to people. Mm -hmm. You just literally show them like the performance of the two keywords, and you know it's a no-brainer. Like like put these two keywords in front of them and say, look, this is what 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 you do and how you perform when people are actually looking at looking for you, exactly you, and this is how you perform when you're literally trying to randomly pull people in. Um, so, I mean, it's a no-brainer. That's a really good way of actually tying back figures to, to the branding side of it, right? I think that's really, it's a really key point because it comes back into what we do all the time with inbound marketing, whereby we'll present a plan and the inbound marketing approach will be that you've got a plan from every stage at which they have a problem from the first moment they realize they have a problem and this is more in the b2b space that we do this but we do it for a lot of others that moment they realize they've got a problem then realizing that a solution for that exists anywhere then that, that solution exists and it's got a company nearby that does it i.e us and then when they actually decide that you're the best company out of the ones that they can do like that whole thing is kind of what that's getting at right it's, it's making sure you've got a plan for all of it and you can just target the people that already know right at the end that are going to type in the keywords and look for a solution. But that works only for a short amount, like a certain amount of time. And it becomes more and more expensive every time you run that same campaign because you're dealing with a smaller and smaller like pond of people, I guess, as opposed to investing in, if we continue the analogy, an ocean instead of like keeping the tap on at the top. I hate that analogy. But anyway, I've said it now. So there you go. Um, Listen, have you got an example of like, just as a, from a personal perspective, someone who's done a company that's done branding really well, and it can be like one you've worked for or just one that you see advertised to, one that you endorse in. And why do you think they've done it well? What do you think is good about it? I love so many brands. I don't know. Like, I don't want to say some random names. I, I like Oatly. I like, oh no, Klarna is a very good example. I think. Okay. I know it's like a huge one, but I, I just like the fact that they've gone completely against the grain, mm -hmm. like financial institutions, financial products generally are not products that you, like you don't trust financial mm -hmm. products. I don't That's think, true. I don't think a product that uses blue as a, like a, as a color and that looks very traditional. I mean, like if you look at like all the recent fintech, they kind of broke the rules of what like a bank should look like. But Klarna has basically taken all of like the best practice from fashion and have mm -hmm. applied it to a financial product, product. And if you think about it, Klarna has two strands to it. It's got the B2B and the B2C side. And I hate B2B and B2C. I hate using these words because it's really business to human. It's just the context in which you kind of applying it. But um, at the end of the day, I think they've done a really good job at making people feel comfortable about a, like a financial product. I think they've also done a good job at actually flipping the whole like idea of like transactions on its head in the sense that like, it's really crazy that you're actually buying something online from loads of different shops. Like you're spreading your car details, like, like you're making it rain basically. And you, you know, it's super <laughs> safe. And, and you're also buying products without really knowing what you're buying. And, what they've done is they've basically given the opportunity, given you the opportunity to actually see the product before you pay for it. And 
that's kind of recreating a bit of like, you know, whatever you'd have like in a brick and mortar shop in the sense that, you know, you look at it, you try it and then you, you buy it, except with e-commerce, we've kind of lost that. And Klarna has kind of brought that back in a way. So they've not just mm -hmm. made it easier for people to buy things to spread the costs. They also have kind of flipped the whole idea of how you purchase online on its head in the sense that like, yeah, they, they, they take on the risk, they pay the, the merchant, they give you 30 days to really think about whether you really want that thing and you want to spread it across four different months. And they give you the opportunity to send it back if you don't like it without having to now faff around getting your refund, waiting three work, three, four, five, 10, 20 working days before you get your money. So beyond just the brand and like the visual identity, the fact that they had Snoop Dogg in one of their campaigns, I think Snoop Dogg is an investor, but like they're, they're really cool. Like they're pink, they're cool. Like they're not like a traditional like banks that just, that you just don't trust. And you really like, if you didn't have a, like it's cause you don't have a choice, you need a bank. So mm -hmm. you do it, but like Klarna all the way. I love what they do. It's interesting. There's also little, um, not little anymore, but lots of people that are breaking really traditional um, systems and industries with some really innovative stuff like that. And it's, they're always brightly colored. Like it's obvious that they're targeting younger people and a younger way of doing things, right? And it, it, it's really effective too. That's where branding comes into play. See, I am, I'm learning. <laughs> um, on, I, it's kind of a segue into this, but you've, uh, you've built a brand, you know, recently. Um, and to do that, obviously it needs investment which you've also raised the investment for, helped raise the investment as, as part of your team. I've never done that, and I don't know many people that have been through that process, but I do know people will have to go through that, probably if they're in marketing at some point in their careers. What, how is, can you just talk me through that process? Like, what is it like to raise funds for a small company that isn't like a startup area? I might be, mis I might be mis uh, saying how they were, but... How do you even go about doing this? And you know, what are the common errors and the things you wish you knew going into it before that? You may have done it before anyway, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there are loads of different layers uh, that come into play. I, I, and I don't necessarily claim that marketing has a pivotal uh, role to play. I do think it's, it helps. But at the end of the day, you need to, I think what people need to understand is that process can be grueling depending on what type of business you are, what industry, who you are as an individual as well. Um, but I, I think ultimately there are two things that I, I can say are quite key to, to that process. I mean, with the little experience that I have in it is basically, and I, I know it's going to sound corny, but it is what it is. Like you actually need to be useful. Like you need to solve something. Like you need to, you need to be useful. Otherwise, why do you exist? Like in terms of the product or service, the product or the, whatever it is that you're doing, like it needs to be useful. It needs to be used and usable mm -hmm. in a way. So there's there's that part of the the equation. The other part of the equation is you need to be commercially viable at least. Um, even if you're not monetized, you need to be commercially viable in the sense that there, there is a way for people that invest in you to get their money back plus mm -hmm. more. And I think whether that's through like like there's loads of different models that you you know you can you can adopt when that, when you do that. But I think having these two pivotal elements kind of helps in the process. 
it also helps when you're really well differentiated. And I think that's when that's where marketing comes in, brand marketing comes all of that. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge that I've identified in this process is not necessarily having to justify marketing or anything of that sort. It's more like, I guess, depending on who you speak to and the majority of people that you speak to really do care about numbers. They really do care about things that in my opinion, don't necessarily matter, especially when you're at the early stage of, of you know, raising funds. Um, a lot of it has to do with vanity metrics. A lot of it has to do with textbook marketing. And you know, don't forget, like there are some very smart investors out there, but there are also some people that have, you know, just read about what you should ask a person about their marketing strategy. Or maybe they've seen it once or twice. And for this, like, it's almost like a blanket set of questions that they ask businesses, irrespective of the industry, irrespective of the value proposition, irrespective of the problems that they solve. So I think what I find the most challenging is actually balancing truly doing what matters versus actually doing it for performative purposes. And I think, you know, that's a conundrum that most people are completely comfortable with. I just, I'm a nerd. So I like <laughs> the thing that actually will have the impact, the thing that matters and the thing that like, yeah, I don't want to be performing. And when I say performing, I don't mean in the, in the performance sense, but like in the putting on a show sense. I mean, that's not my thing, but you know, some people like it. And if they like it, then they'll raise the funds. <laughs> but that's it. I mean, you look at the amount of businesses that have been that have had have had funds raised for them. That sounds great, and I just imagine that these guys that go in and invest their money, they do real due diligence and work out. Okay, these guys have got this in them in their bank. Their cash flows like this, and they need this just to get them over over the edge. But they're 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 a pretty safe company. But like millions were invested into WeWork, and it was essentially turned out to be a bit of a. I don't know enough about it just to be clear but I know that it wasn't as great as people thought right and there's loads of examples like that where people just get ahead of themselves and based on this idea of well it's everywhere so it must be good <laughs> it's like look, look how many people know about about we work it must be must be worth investing in it kind of just builds up this level and then eventually when it comes back down to paying for itself it just doesn't and then people lose loads of money too so it's balance right between performance metrics and kind of just knowing about it and it's a bit of everything is it I guess in terms of like presenting for that cause of getting money raising I think funds? there's that there's that but there's also a whole bunch of other reasons why scenarios like these happen I mean there is also a difference between building a business for profit and building a business to exit and from a valuation perspective so you like increasing the value as you go you raise funds so the value increases etc etc you make a big exit you get your check and then that's it everyone cashes in everyone's happy whereas the, there are people that are actually building businesses that actually want to be profitable a lot of these other companies that we're talking about aren't necessarily profitable um so it, it like I, I think it again it depends on the product it depends on the founders it depends on the leadership it depends on the type of investors there are investors that will also hype you up and actually encourage you to increase your valuation um just so that in the end, it's profitable for them and for, for a lot of people. So I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable about 
fundraising and investment in that way um, that I can like for like I can express very strong opinions about it. But having been in that space very very recently, working uh, close to to VCs, what I do know also is that there's a massive piece of work that needs to be done within that space so that actually they can be just great our partners and just great investors in some businesses that might not look shiny or might not look the part, but actually could be making money because they do have something that has the ability of changing ecosystems, changing the world. Um, mm. And especially in the market I'm in right now, in this conversation I'm having in the Middle East, you know, it's, 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 it's really starting to, you know, like the, the startup ecosystem is very vibrant with very, very early stage startups. And there's an opportunity there to actually like set a new standard for that, which is why it's kind of exciting in a way. Whereas, you know, you do have like your old school guys that, you know, they've done things and they've, you know, we've done this thing, we've done these investments. And I was speaking to some of them and they, they were saying that like, they will invest in hundred with the hope that one returns so much that they don't have to worry about what they invested in like the other 99. So if you think about like that strategy, like we need loads of startups to kind they mm. need to go through so many so that like they can get to that one unicorn or that one profitable one, if that makes sense. So they're not yeah. like a lot of the ones that I've met here, I don't know whether that's the case in, in the US or in Europe, but what I know is that people here, they're like, let's just invest, 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 and then see what happens. Is it, is it different in terms of, is it, have you noticed a, a, a much greater sense of hope in Dubai in terms of that? I mean, that, what that tells me is that people have got confidence, business confidence, and they try things and experiment with things. That's what I, I'm getting from that. But is that a poor read of what you just said? I don't know. Again, I don't want to generalize. But what I do notice here is the fact that like the approach to business, like the metrics of success are much different. I think mm. people are open to business here. People are open to having the conversations. They are open to innovation. I think just generally the ambition here is grand. So I think, I don't know whether it's hope, but I think there's some sort of, don't forget, this is, you know, we're in the Middle East, so like religion and faith has a lot to do with a lot of things here. People mm -hmm. are really all about, well, we'll put the money in and inshallah, let's see what happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's, and, and somehow I think it's also a great thing because it's like that sort of risk-taking element that's less calculated, but it's not completely miscalculated, if that makes sense. Like they still, you know, you still go through your vetting process. You still go through yeah. um, a number of steps. But I do think that, for instance, just looking at incubators here and accelerators, like they're always open. Lots of them are constantly open. They don't have this sort of like rules about cohorts and these like limited numbers of like, you know, they don't nitpick. Like, no, they actually are welcoming. They're like, you've got ideas, bring them. Even if you don't have a business plan, even if you don't have a fully formed pitch, come, we'll help you develop it because they're very, like they're doubling down on the idea that they want to energize the region mm -hmm. and they want to invest in like the people that have these ideas. So I think what that, has the ripple effect that that has is that like now VCs have to kind of also themselves be a bit more, um, you know, just like keep abreast with what's happening, but also be, be less rigid, be a bit more flexible and pliable and actually just learn more about like the ups and downs and like the ins and outs of like what it takes to actually run the business on a daily basis to, to be good partners to these, um, these early stage startups. So, I mean, you know, I'm learning a lot.
Well, um, what, uh, this is a bit of a tangent now, but what do you think, uh, this is a bit doom and gloom too, <laughs> if there's a recession, um, what do you think the impact's going to be on brands and performance marketers alike? And what can we do? Because we, I, I, can, I can just about remember the last recession, but that's because I, I can just about remember very little. I can't remember much. <laughs> so my memory's terrible. So like that doesn't really say anything. But yeah, what is the what is what should we do as marketers if we're going to go through a recession where people start doing the same thing they do every recession, right? Cutting budgets, reducing that hope, reducing that confidence in the future. I'm not saying that you might have the answer for this, but what do you advise businesses that are thinking about you know about maybe looking after their cash flow? So listen, I. When I, I when I did my masters, my my uh, my dissertation was about the recession. I basically wanted to work in publishing, in luxury publishing. So you can imagine that me graduating with a <laughs> masters in publishing when the whole industry was being transformed. Because yeah, well, you know, we cut we're cutting down on all budgets, and me actually specializing in luxury. I, I've thought about that quite a lot, and. Having gone through that first one and with what's happening right now, what I can say is that brand is actually more important now and in the midst of a recession than any time. The reason mm -hmm. why is if you have to cut things down, you probably will cut things that you don't have a lot of affinity with. You probably cut down on things that don't make you feel that good that like don't give you a sense of value that don't give you a sense of pride so i think you know if you cut you, you cut on what's superfluous like you're not gonna you know you're not gonna and of course you know th there might be things that you cut that are branded that are superfluous but, but my point is what really matters to you the things the brands that really make you feel like you can carry on because you also have to carry on like you have to get out of that that, that recession you have to get out mm -hmm. of like these financial like difficulties, but you need to still feel like a human there. You know, you still want to feel like, you know, your toilet paper that has three plies instead of two and feel a bit, feels a bit, a little more luxurious. You know, if that's <laughs> what it takes for you to kind of get out of this recession, like whole, oh, then maybe that's what you, you'll do. So I think, you know, in all seriousness, I think, yeah, but budgets are going to be cut down and, you know, people will spend less, but it's likely that they spend with the brands that are closest to their heart. So you just need to be one of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair. I think I, I'm just trying to apply it to a B2B sense as well. Mm -hmm. When we work with brands in terms of like software that we employ, um, some software that we use makes our jobs so much harder, uh, easier, <laughs> um, like marketing software and so on. And when we have to start getting rid of those massive subscriptions because we can't afford them, your job becomes work. And but there's also that's that's a performance thing, right? But there's also a mental thing there of right, we're having to cut on a lot of different things that make our life better. And also we haven't we're not associated with this company anymore. And like, are we a lot smaller now? Do I need to look somewhere else? So there's an impact there as well, isn't there? Like about the value, the collective value of all the partnerships that your business has in a b2b sense that were affected massively by brands because the ones that had the brands if i think of hubspot for example there's a lot of agencies that are hubspot partners it means something to be a hubspot partner in the sense that because they've built their brand up so well people talent go to other good agencies that are hubspot partners because they know 
what it's going to look like. They know that when they get there on the first day, there's going to be a dashboard they understand and they, they've spent time over and they understand a lot of the ecosystem of that. So, and that comes from the branding that that company's invested in HubSpot themselves. So yeah, that's just a tag on to that answer, I guess. But, no, but, yeah, that, maybe but that's absolutely it. right. And I, I think ultimately you, you will have companies that, that will say, okay, we can get rid of everything, but HubSpot insert whatever like tool in their tech stack that like, they just can't live without. So it's just a case of having built a brand over time that's strong enough and that's kind of taken like lifestyle or work lifestyle real estate in people's day that like they just can't imagine not having it on their phone, on their laptops or whatever. And I think it, it, got, it comes down to that, doesn't it? Like if I'm spending like two or three hours a day using a specific tool and I've done that for the past three years and it makes my job better, then yeah, I'm gonna get rid of that little tool that I found on AppSumo with a discount that I don't even know really what it does and why I got it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to say AppSumo, that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. It's about that real estate in people's lives, whether they're at work or whether they're at home, because again, B2B, B2C at the end of the day, you know, it's that real estate in people's lives. It's quite yeah. nicely like tied up there why invest in branding because like if you have a brand then you can be more withstanding to like economic pressure when people leave and stuff like just shows the importance of it really doesn't it? Mm -mm -mm -mm, definitely. Good points. I think it's a good time um, given I think we've got about a few minutes left to do the section two and section three which are the fun bits. <laughs> so yeah. But, um, yeah section two fake facts is our uh, the classic time where we, oh, actually, I've skipped ahead, haven't I? We'll, I'll cut that bit out. We, I need to ask these quantifiable questions. So these are things we ask everyone that comes to the podcast. Um, and I'm going to ask you for some definitive answers on the, on the following. Can you give me a ranking in order in terms of how you value the, next, the following things I'm about to say? Uh, PPC, uh, social media, that includes organic and paid, email marketing, and SEO. What do you think, if you had to rank them from first to last, is the most effective in your experience? And if you just use the context of all of your whole career, what have you, what have you seen be the most effective the most amount of times? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a definite answer. I will. <laughs> but like, I have to, again, caveat, caveat it in the sense that like most effective for what, like to what end? And I think that it does matter, but okay, I'm just, just going to answer the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, it's so hard. <laughs> it's very hard. I'm going to say SEO because I'm old school like that. Mm -hmm. As number one. Huh? Is that your top or your bottom? Which My one do you think? It's SEO. your top. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going from top to bottom. So SEO, social media email marketing ppc oh, oh. damn it my job's on the line again <laughs> <laughs> everyone on the podcast puts me at the bottom there sorry guys thanks guys recession proof <laughs> <laughs> my job's gone <laughs> but again uh, yeah. <laughs> i know i'm sorry it's all good for <laughs> um the next question is uh how well, we normally ask, uh, how confident are you in your con current content marketing strategy? Is there a marketing strategy you're working on at the moment with a client that you can talk about? Or if not, then 
we can we can go past this. I've got two actually. So I'm fractional CMO for two very, very different companies. I'm fractional CMO for a luxury uh, fashion uh, brand. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I'm very confident about the, uh, the content strategy, the content marketing strategy as well, because I, I do see a difference between the two. Um, just because it's, it's something that this founder has been thinking about for so long and was quite ahead of her time, to be fair. Like she started this business about 10, 11 years ago. And that's also the case for the other client that I have actually. Um, but this one, particularly with the whole body positive, positivity movement, the whole idea of like trying to be inclusive, um, she was ahead of her time. Um, and the content that we're putting together, the strategy that we have to deliver it, um, the community that she's managed to build over the last three years, especially during COVID, and how we're going to leverage it is, is going to be banging. I mean, she's raising funds. I'm helping her with, uh, with the fundraising right now. The other one is, is, is different because it's B2B. Um, and again, it's still about advisory and consultancy. She, she, she's also someone that started a business about 11 years ago and has kind of built a good network around her. Um, and she is a genius, like just simply put. So the reason why I'm confident about the strategy is because how much there is like from where it's coming from, as in like she is an untapped source of knowledge untapped source of genius. So I know that I'm going to have so much fun with all the things that we're sort of putting together and all the different tactics that we'll use to kind of distribute it, especially because it's quite niche in a way what she's doing. Um, and she's developed an amazing tool. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am 100% confident. <laughs> what I was going to say on a scale of one to 10, how confident, um, for each, okay, but okay, then okay, I don't okay, want to I don't mean to score your uh, your points. Maybe eight out of ten, because <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but that's the thing, because that's the thing. There's always a sort of like trial and error element to it. But you have to be bold. You have to be confident when you're marketing. Mm -hmm. You can't just be like, oh, I don't know what it's like. You just it, like you blag it. Like just like even if like that twenty percent, you're not sure. You're like, okay, we'll see, and then we'll we'll figure it out, and we'll iterate, and we'll make it work. But in any case, yeah, I I am like pretty sure it's gonna be banging. Yeah. You'd much rather have a marketer who is who's confident and willing to break a few things to go and make the difference. And that inter and really like there's always that thing of I don't want to go over budget, but I'd rather someone go over budget a little bit and you know we we learn a little bit from it than than not. Um, what do you think would be the most important factor in improving that score? Is it just time to experiment? Yeah, I guess. I, I guess I will never improve that score because it's my perception of the work and I'm never going to think it's perfect. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I have this mentality of like continual improvement and blah, 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 all that good stuff. Um, but what I do know is time will help me identify what really works and like it will help me double down on it. And that, that, that I think that's the best thing that you can hope for time, yeah. which we rarely have as marketers. Everyone yeah, wants yeah. results like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I don't know if I ever said to you about the Berners Watch. Did I ever talk to you about Berners Watch before, Vanessa? No. 
it's like a t is a school is a, is a show that was on when i was in school where he had this like watch that he could stop time and then he could just do what he wanted which ages you obviously because you still age in that process i never thought about that as a kid but that they've never thought that more than the last month <laughs> i just wish i could just stop everyone else and just have a have a day to to getting everything done um the next segment is fake facts so two of these are fake one is true i'm going to read them out are you going to guess which one's fake and which ones are true and then i'm going to tell you if you're right or wrong so first one is coca-cola spends an average of 3.5 billion dollars on branding each year um second one uh, there was a global survey of a thousand marketing executives in 2021 completed by an agency. Um, and they found that 70% uh, of those marketing executives expected that any budget cuts that came out of marketing would come out of brand advertising. It's quite a long fact, sorry about that. And the <laughs> third one, according to Hootsuite, 30% of internet users around the world use ad blockers. Which of those do you think is true? How many are fake? How many are, are true? Two are, two are true. One is true. You just have to tell I'm tempted to say the Hootsuite one, especially with like all the data stuff that's come out recently and people not wanting their information used for personalised ads. But I also think 30% of global users might be quite low, which is making me question whether it's that one. Confirmation bias tells me that it's the branding one because we've done the podcast about branding, but <laughs> maybe that's just being cynic. Oh, what do you think, know. Vanessa? Yeah, I think the branding one might be the, the, the truth. But I also feel like the tendency, the recent tendency and all the conversations I've had like in the last year or so have also been about people wanting to invest in brand more. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm kind of like, mm, was it in 2021? So maybe people aren't saying that. I don't know. Let's go for the brand one. Like, Let's go like that people will, will cut the budget on brand. Okay, so the branding one is what you're going for, and Astrid, you're going for the Hootsuite one. Yeah, I think so. So the true one is, uh, well, Coca-Cola spends on average four billion rather than three point five billion euro dollars uh, on branding. So even more than that. So that one's false because it's more than three point five. And Hootsuite is actually forty-two point seven percent of internet users. Uh, use ad blockers, which means the second one yeah. is true, uh, that 70% of those that expect budget cuts expect it to be applied to brand advertising specifically. Um, yeah, the more you know. Nailed so they're all it. kind of true, just like slightly more or less, which is the common trick. The, um, the last bit, the last segment is strategy analogy. So we're going to select a random word and then try and apply that back to some form of our area of expertise uh, or just marketing in general. Uh, so I'm going to click on the random generator. Where is the link there? Okay, and the word is the noun is salad. Salad <laughs> <laughs> is like the marketing mix. You throw a whole bunch of food together. You and then, voila, something <laughs> happens and it's magical. Yeah. Or maybe like salads like branding and like when people see it on a menu, they don't really want it. Maybe it's a little bit overpriced or something that looks more glamorous. 
but deep down you know it's good for you (laughs) (laughs) that's mine (laughs) very good so i would say historically jason's uh, awful at these by the way vanessa (laughs) okay okay so oh man this is so difficult Uh, so salad (laughs) is like a salad on a menu is undervalued feels like you're just copying what i said but okay yeah 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 <laughs> i i can't i can't okay i, <laughs> yeah, I literally don't have one salads Sorry. are like salads are like that team member on the marketing team you know like it's like oh, i don't know yeah actually it's hard oh here we go so salads okay you with me? Yeah. It's <laughs> something that everyone can make a salad, whether that's taking some lettuce, putting some tomato on it and some onion. But when you get a really good salad, different levels, you different gravy, you can really make a good salad if you're really good at knowing what you're doing and if you invest in it. Same thing with content marketing. You yes, can just put yeah. a blog out or you can invest in the whole content marketing piece and write everything there is about it and really understand your segment. And that's why it's like salad. Yeah, I feel like mine was shitty. And I put it out there like that. I should have thought about it. I feel it. like I won that. Like, that's but. good. <laughs> that was good. Very good. I think Just you know, like, I was kind of like saying, is he saying that anyone can be a marketer? Like, is that what he means? But actually, no. Yeah. It's clever, isn't it? Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Vanessa, is there anything? I know that you've got cookbooks and all kinds of things uh, that you could talk about now for the plug. But is there anything that you'd like to, uh, to talk about or promote? Actually, you know what? I'm overworked right now, so I don't want to put any. <laughs> Do not send me work. But what I'd say is that um, I think it was really lovely speaking to you guys. I mean, Astra, we've worked together only yeah. like, like for a short time, but it's been a pleasure. Jason, obviously, you know, you know, we, you know, you and I, yeah, we've, we've been through things, and I, yeah, yeah I really appreciate um, you guys having me. On this podcast having very interesting conversations and you know long long lives you know the, the your podcast yes. what's the name of it landing page thanks <laughs> on the same yeah, we're we're again. i'm gonna do it again we same. need to work on our branding don't we it's <laughs> not memorable enough on the same landing page yeah yeah that's, that's right yeah. okay so okay so I'm, I'm very happy that you guys invited me to join on the same landing page you know honestly guys long live Ah, forget it. You can cut it. <laughs> <laughs>